morning we are going to Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14. 14th chapter of Matthew. And uh, this is immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. Verse 22, Matthew 14. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when the evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, Come. When Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Amen. Storms. Storms happen to the best of men and women alike. The follower of Christ is not exempt from the contrary winds that blow, as the Scriptures say here. Even being in the will of God, doing the will of God, loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, does not exclude us from the blasts of the storms that sometimes blow. The truth is that everyone, without exception, faces storms in life at one time or another. The factory closes. Redundancy notices are being handed out. Suddenly you are in the midst of a financial storm, not of your making. Or marriage fails. Divorce proceedings happen. And you're in the midst of that marital storm that wants to rip the very heart out of you. Or a child rebels. And all kinds of tensions and all kinds of rows <laughs> explode around you. And it's a stormy period for any parent. Or worse still, sickness strikes. And suddenly your whole life is turned upside down. And in that moment, your whole life changes. Sometimes these things come unexpectedly, come without any 
foreknowledge. At other times, you see the dark, ominous clouds on the horizon. But you cannot do anything about it other than go through it. It happens like that sometimes. Now the reality is, if you were a pilot flying the skies, you would not expect to go through that without some turbulence at some time or other. If you were a sailor sailing on the ocean, you would not expect to go through the ocean without some squalls that you'd face. So it's inconceivable that we can go through this journey of life from earth to heaven, however long that may be, without facing some difficulties and turbulence in life and storms and squalls that we have to face. In fact, the journey absolutely guarantees the storm. But thank God, Christ guarantees the journey in spite of the storm. Can you say amen? And so you will have a storm. But with Christ, there's a guarantee that we will come through the storm as these disciples did here in this boat. So how do you get through the storm? How do you make it safely to the other side? Well, first of all, remember that God knows exactly where you are. Remember that God knows exactly where you are. You see, you may temporarily lose sight of Him, but He never for one second loses sight of you. See, Jesus was up the mountain praying. He was physically separated from them geographically. And you can imagine in the midst of the storm when the skies would be black and roaring waves. There's no possible way that they could see Him. But in Mark chapter 6 and verse 48 where it tells the exact same story on it's slightly different. You see that while they were toiling and rowing, the Bible says that Jesus saw them. He saw them. Whether it was from that natural vantage point up the mountain, looking out over Galilee, or whether he saw them in the Spirit when he was praying. But he saw them nonetheless. And whatever storm in life that we may face and are in the midst of or have to go through, let us remember at all times that even though we may not see Him in the storm, He certainly sees us. We don't always see the sun shining, but we know it shines. Sometimes it's the clouds that blot it out for a while. And so, in Exodus chapter 2, it tells the story of a lovely couple, Amram and Jochebed, parents of Moses. You remember the children of Israel were in Egypt and under during the time of Joseph, Pharaoh was uh, very kindly disposed towards them. 
did everything he possibly could to help them. Gave them their own tract of land, blessed them, secured them. But then it tells us actually in chapter 1, in verse 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And if you would read on there in chapter 1, you'd find that when it says he did not know Joseph, that he became very hard against the children of Israel. And so, after many, many years of enjoying peace and prosperity under the old Pharaoh, here's a new Pharaoh who rises up, who knows not Joseph, who is not kindly disposed towards the Jews, and suddenly the contrary winds are blowing in their lives. They're come up, up against very stiff opposition. Come up against someone who despises them, who makes life very difficult for them, who treats them very badly indeed. And the more bad, the worse he treats them, the more God blesses them, and the more they increase, and then the worse he becomes. Because now he's frightened because they become so strong in spite of all that he's doing against them. And so he decides that he would make a decree that, that every little baby boy that would be born, they were to be put to death immediately. Infanticide, that's called. By the way, did you see, just as a little aside, did you see in the paper last week where two top academics are now saying that doctors should have the right to kill newborn babies if they're deformed? Or if their mother just decides she doesn't want it. That's infanticide. Can you believe there's people who would want that to be actually law in the land? Doesn't it show you how desperately sick in mind and soul that Britain has become? Whenever we have left off God and the things of God and the Word of God. Don't get me started on that, please. Made to keep them a subject, David. And so it says in chapter 2, And a man of the house of Levi went and took his wife, the daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes and for him and daubed it with asphalt and pitch and put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when, they, when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew woman, that she may nurse the child for you. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. This dear mother 
whom the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that she did this by faith, not fearing the wrath of the king. That by pure faith, she made this little ark of bulrushes and she floated it down the Nile, knowing, of course, that Pharaoh's daughter would be bathing down there, but absolutely trusting God for the life of this little baby. But what if Pharaoh's daughter is like her father? What if she's cold-hearted and black-hearted? What if she is compassionless? What if she has as, as much hatred in her soul as her father has for the Jews, even the baby ones? What if the crocodiles get him on the journey? But at some point she had to release him into that dangerous water. And even though he had floated down out of her sight, never for one second was he out of God's sight. And lo and behold, as we saw there, whenever they discovered the little baby, Pharaoh's daughter had much compassion and was very tender-hearted towards this little baby when she heard him cry. Her mother's instinct kicked in and her heart was melted. But the point I'm making was that at some point he had to go out of their sight, but he was never out of God's sight. And even though she weaned him, nursed him to that young tender age and then would hand him back to Pharaoh's daughter to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and for several years he would be out of her sight. She wouldn't see him every day. Might be long times between seeing him that God's eye was on him. And that was good enough for her. See, she did this by faith. She did this fully trusting the Lord to look after her child. Even when she couldn't, even when she wouldn't see him, she trusted the Lord to keep his eye on her child. And so this was a stormy period for those Jews in Egypt. But God was there in the midst of it, wasn't he? In Daniel chapter 3, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar, he made a fantastic, enormous statue of gold that was to be worshipped by all in the land. He made a decree that at what time that the band would strike up, that everyone would bow down and worship this great idol. Of course, that was anathema to any God-loving Hebrew boy or girl. And here's these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And here they are. And they know that 
if they do not bow down, that the decree says that they would be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Verse 8, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery, in sympathy with all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the gold image. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace." There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, It is true, Shadrach, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I've set up. Now if you are ready at the time, now if you are ready at the time when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and sympathy with all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. He will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, and we will worship, we will, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. You probably know, I'm sure, if you have access to the internet or maybe reading papers or the news, that there is a Christian pastor in Iran who's awaiting execution. And they've tried several times to get him to recant. But he says, no, I can't do that. I can't deny that Jesus is my Lord, even though it may cost me my life. And so these stories we read 3,000 years ago or whatever, they're happening today, right now in the world. There are Shadrachs, Meshach, and Abednegoes in the world today who will not bow to other gods, even though it may cost them their very lives. You've got to admire that, don't you? Would we do it? We trust that we would if we're in the position, but we're not in that position. But if we were, we trust by the grace of God that we too would have the courage then Nebuchadnezzar, full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. 
And these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he arose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Hmm. Glory to God. Here these young men are hundreds and hundreds of miles away from home, completely on their own, standing up for Jesus in the midst of a desperate pagan world and this despot of a king. And here they are thrown in this fiery furnace. Who knows they're there except the king and the few that stood there? But God saw them. And God saw their faith. And God saw their courage. And God saw their obedience. And God saw the stand that they took for him. Let me tell you something. There's many Christians today and they haven't got the guts to stand up and talk about Jesus in the workplace or their mates or they're embarrassed to talk about Jesus. Here's man who's willing to die for Jesus. God give us people today with courage and guts to even stand up for his name. Amen? The generation of young people today, and I tell you something, they're going to be facing some stuff in this world. They'll need all the courage and all the grace and all the guts and gumption they got just to get through it. And they're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to get them through it too. But God will give it if they take their stand. And here they are. And suddenly, in the midst of all this fire storm they're going through, the Lord comes and joins them in the midst of it. Aren't you glad that God's there with us in the midst of our storms? That He sees us when no one else sees us? In Genesis chapter 16, it says, Now Sarai, Abraham, Abram's wife, she had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, he was 85 now, Sarai was 75. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress, Sarai, became despised in her eyes. And Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. 
Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt, dwelt, dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Probably trying to make her way back to Egypt from when she came. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, or God hears, that means, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, el Rohi. el Rohi, or you are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Rohai, or the well of the one who lives and sees me. So here's this young woman put in this very difficult position by her mistress. Lies with her mistress' husband, becomes pregnant. Then pride rises up in her heart. So that was her major feeling. But Sarai then deals very harshly. She's mad at Abram. She's been mad at herself for coming up with the idea in the first place, but she's mad at Abraham. Now she's mad at Hagar and she throws her out. And here's this young woman in the wilderness, pregnant, no home, no family. In the middle of nowhere, in a wilderness. But suddenly, God sees her. God's eye is on her. And God has got a plan for that little baby boy in her womb. And when she realized that God had seen her, when she suddenly realized that the eye of the Lord was upon her, what an encouragement. That was the strength that she needed to go back to her mistress. Because <clears throat> she knew she'd probably gone back to a house full of tension and difficulty. Stormy times were ahead. But boy, when she realized the Lord had seen her. So remember, God knows exactly where you are. Even though you may not see Him at times, He never for one second loses sight of you. Remember also to keep looking to the Lord. In verse 29, Peter looked to the Lord when he was in faith. But in verse 30, Peter looked to the Lord when he was in fear. It's understandable. It's automatic. It goes almost without saying that if we're in faith, we are looking to the Lord. But what about when we're in fear? Do we look to the Lord 
when we're in fear. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Good job he did. It's a short prayer, isn't it? But it was highly effective, wasn't it? Sometimes short prayers are highly effective depending on the moment you pray it. And boy, he needed a fast answer, didn't he? <laughs> this was a quick prayer that needed an immediate answer. And thank God he got it. Verse 31, Peter looked to the Lord when he was in doubt. When he was in doubt. <clears throat> A man said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. <laughs> Try my best, Lord. It's difficult. I believe, but Lord, just help my unbelief. I'm struggling here. Do you look to the Lord when you're in doubt? Do you look to the Lord when you're in fear? It's easy to look to the Lord when you're in faith. It comes easy then. It's a breeze. But when you're in fear and you're in doubt, you've still got to keep looking to the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, David's in big trouble. He's on the run from Saul. He's living in the land of the Philistines. He's living among the ancient enemy. The king of the Philistines was kindly disposed towards him. And then whenever... The Philistines were going to fight against Israel. David decided that he and his small band of warriors, about 600 or so, they would fight with them against Israel. It wasn't a great plan, by the way. But that's what he decided. And would have. Only the rest of the lords of the Philistines said, No, we know what will happen. Because when the battle ensues, then you will turn against us and you'll fight for Israel. And so the king of the Philistines said, I'm sorry, you can't go to battle with us. You may go home again to Ziglag. You know the story, don't you? Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire, had taken captive the woman and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill any, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city. There it was, burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. And the David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam and the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. Here is... A storm 
Everything had been going so well. And suddenly, within just a few days, everything has turned against him. Everything he loved, everything he owned, everything he had was taken away from him. And not only that, these mighty men that surrounded him that would have given their very lives for him, would have laid down their lives for him, are now threatening to take his life. It's pretty bad, isn't it? That's a storm, isn't it? He must have felt so alone. He had no backers. No sympathizers. Nobody to say to him, look, David, I know it's not your fault. No, it was his fault. They were saying, it's your fault. Look at the mess you've got us into. And so here he is. But it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this trip? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. And that's exactly what he did. He went out and he pursued and he got every single thing back again from those who stole it. So here is David in the midst of his storm. And what did he do? He looked to the Lord. <laughs> he couldn't look to anybody else, could he? See, sometimes while we have somebody else to look to, we don't look to the Lord. But when you have no earthly helper, when you have nobody to look to, when everybody it seems like is against you, as we would say here, look to the Lord. And David, it says, strengthen himself in the Lord. Nobody was there to strengthen him. It's lovely when you have friends and you have church friends and people praise for you and praise for you in the prayer meeting and people's sending you notes and ringing you, and it's wonderful, but there's going to be times when you have none of that. What are you going to do then? You've got to strengthen yourself in the Lord. <laughs> when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. <laughs> strengthen yourself in the Lord. So remember, God knows exactly where you are. Remember to keep looking to the Lord. Then remember, it's in a storm where the Lord often reveals Himself in ways that you've never known Him before. Look at verse 25. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Jesus came to them in this storm at the most unexpected time and in the most unexpected way. He revealed his presence and he revealed his power in the most unexpected time and in the most unexpected way. 
It was the fourth watch of the night. Now, Romans broke up their day into watches. And the fourth watch of their day happened to be between the hours of 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So probably about 3 a.m., maybe 3 or 4 a.m., at the darkest time of the night, when the storm was howling at its worst, Jesus came when it seemed impossible. This was completely unexpected by these disciples. You know, they must have been at their lowest ebb. Years and years ago, I used to work night shifts. And it is a fact that your body clock is at its lowest around that time of the morning. Most accidents in factories are caused at that time of the morning on night shift because your body clock has run down and you're tired and your ability to, to think straight sometimes is a little bit fuddled. And here they were. Remember, they're miles out at sea. John says they'd rode three or four miles out. Remember, it's a howling, boisterous storm, it says. Remember, it's dark, pitch black, and they're physically worn out and weary. And that's the time the Lord came on to them. The most unexpected time, and in the most unexpected way, walking on the sea. No wonder they thought they saw a ghost. What would you have thought? <laughs> and being fishermen and all those suspicious stories that they've been brought up to believe, superstitious stories have been brought up to believe about ghosts and sea and the rest of it, suddenly it all came to the fore in the midst of their panic and their fear. And they saw the shadowy figure one of the other gospel writers says, and it looked it was as if he would have walked on past. <laughs> and they shouted. They shouted. And so there's going to be times when you go through a storm that the Lord will come to you in the most unexpected way in the most unexpected time. It tests us, doesn't it? It really does. It tests us. But here he is. He's coming and he's walking on the sea. What a shock that must have been. <laughs> must have been frightening, actually. And he shouts to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. You'd have thought just his voice would have been enough to reassure, wouldn't you? But they're shook up. They're at their wit's end. They thought they were going to die. The boat would capsize. They'd be lost at sea. And so, of course, Peter, being Peter, made that demand upon him. If it's you, bid me come on the water. You know, I was thinking about that again last night. That is an incredible thing to say, isn't it? 
Would any of us said that? <laughs> they might have said, Lord, if that's really you, quick, get in this boat. Lord, if that's really you, stop these waves and wind blowing. He said, if that's really you, you bid me come to you. What a moment in his life. <laughs> what a moment. Remember that God knows exactly where you are. Remember to keep looking to the Lord. Remember that it's in a storm where the Lord often reveals himself to us in ways that we have never known him before. You know, this was unique. This never happened before. It never happened after it. It was a one-off. It was a one-off. Nobody has ever walked in water since. Nobody ever walked done it before. Oh, they passed through the midst of the sea when it parted and tried land, but they never walked over it. But Jesus did, and Peter did, even though momentarily, but he did it. It was a one-off. And should God have to find an unusual way to come to us, should it be a one-off? If that's what's needed, that's what he'll do. If that's what's required, then we've got to trust him to do it in his way and in his time. Remember, you will make it to the other side. You will make it to the other side. Another scripture says that when Jesus got into the boat, that the wind ceased, the sea was calm. And immediately, immediately, they were at the other side. How do you explain that? You can't, sure you can't. Immediately, they were at the other side. They made it to the other side. The Lord had sent them to the other side. And he was making sure they would get to the other side. Because he was the one who gave the order, wasn't he? They obeyed his order. They took his instruction. Now it looks as if they're going to lose their life in the midst of it, but no. He gave the order. He gave the command. He made sure that they got to the other side. You know, way over there in Luke chapter 8, you don't need to turn to this, but Luke chapter 8, Jesus was actually in this other incident. He was actually in the boat with them when the storm rose up. And he told them they were going to the other side. But the storm rose up. This time Jesus wasn't up the mountain. He wasn't on dry land. He was right there in the boat with them. Now that ought to encourage us too. Because even with Jesus on board in our lives, we're still going to have to go through some storms. And Jesus knew the storm was coming, but he still told them we're going to the other side. And Jesus even allowed them to feel the full lash of the storm. And at the worst of the storm, he seemed the least concerned. Isn't that amazing? At the worst of the storm, he seemed the least concerned. He was asleep on a pillow. Now the reason why I say that is because sometimes in the midst of our storms that we go through, it seems like God's the least concerned. He's not speaking. He's not talking. He doesn't seem to be answering. 
He's sleeping. But you see, they'd forgotten his promise. His promise was, let us go over. Not under, but over. And when God says you're going to go over, you're not going to go under. Sure you're not. Amen? He misinterpreted his presence. Let us go over, he said. He was right there with them. But you see, to them, his presence meant, meant action, activity, Something would be done. There would be intervention. That was something they could see. That was something they could feel. But here he is. They're looking and he's asleep on a pillow. <laughs> and they misunderstood that. Actually, just his mere presence on the boat was a guarantee that they were going to get to the other side. If they had to just stop for a moment... And just thought, well, the Lord is in this boat. And no matter what the storm is, as long as the Lord's in this boat, there is no possible way this boat's going to go down. Amen. And that's what this is designed to let us know. His presence was on board with them. And as long as Christ is in our lives, no matter what the storms are we face, He's on board. We are going over. We're not going under. And we're going to go, as the old song says, right to the other side. Amen. And we're going to close in a minute. Psalm 27. Just a few selected verses here and there. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Verse 3. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise up against me, in this I will be confident. And then verse 5. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Verse 13. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Next chapter. Verse 6. Blessed be the Lord. Because he has heard the voice of my supplications, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him. I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song I will praise him. The Lord is their strength. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. Glory to God. And then over in Psalm 31. In verse 7, I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you have considered my trouble, and you have known my soul in adversities, and have not shut up me, sorry, and have not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a wide place. And then down to 
Verse 19, Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence. From the plots of man, you shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Verse 23, Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays, repays the proud person. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Amen. You are going to make it. You will come through your storm. Christ will come to you in ways that are unexpected, in times that are unexpected. And he'll strengthen your hands and he'll encourage your heart and you'll make it to the other side and you'll look back and you'll say, thank God the Lord was with me in the midst of all that. You think of all of the stuff that you've come through. Think of all of the storms in the past that you've got through that at the time you thought you'd never make it. But here you are today in the house of the Lord and you have made it. Amen. Let's pray. Ken's going to come in a moment. He's going to lead us in communion. But let's just pray first. Lord, may our hearts be encouraged today. May we be strengthened with might on the inner man. Lord, may we know your presence daily in our lives. May we sense your nearness. May we feel and know and understand that no matter what happens, that you are with us that you never leave us, you never forsake us, your promise you'll be with us even to the very end. And Lord, no matter what storm my brother and my sister is facing today, they're going to make it to the other side. They are not going to go under, they're going to go over to the other side. Lord, that's your promise, that's your word, that's your command, and we're going to believe it today in Jesus' name. We're not going to sink, we're not going to fail, we're going to make it according to the word of the Lord. Amen. Lord, I pray that you'll bless, and you'll strengthen, and you'll encourage, and Lord, that you'll grant faith, and trust, and everything that we need, Lord, in this journey of life from earth to heaven, Lord, that we go through it successfully, victoriously, as believers in Christ, not doubting, Lord, your goodness and your faithfulness and your mercies that are new and fresh every morning. Thank you, Lord, for this. Bless you, Lord, for every time you come to our aid, every time, Lord, you lift us up on eagles' wings, every time, Lord, whenever we feel afraid or worried or anxious, Lord, you come in with your word and your spirit and you lift us up, O oh God, and you take us to the other side. So we bless you and we give you thanks for this. In Jesus' name.